morning, New Heights. If you'll turn with your Bibles to me to Isaiah 53. I'm going to read a short passage to prepare our hearts for Lee's message. It's Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The innkeeper and his wife, they stood, they stood at a distance. They, they, they can't take their eyes off the boy. On the air above, above them, there, there is an echo. At, at first, it's faint, but then it grows louder and louder and louder. The innkeeper stares at heaven. The star above them is daylight bright. He's never seen anything like it. And it casts their shadows on the ground. Finally, he he can make it out. Voices. A myriad of voices. Thousands, ten thousands, millions of voices. The purest he has ever heard. And they're singing at the top of their lungs. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The innkeeper knows now. He bows low and speaks loud enough for the young couple to hear. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. God. God. 
God with us. But not all are so inviting. In the dark night air, invisible armies draw invisible battle lines. Forces gather, battle plans are drawn. Even now, the boy's life is in danger. Just over the next hill beyond earshot lies another hill, Mount Moriah. It is an ancient and storied place. It is the hill where Melchizedek reigned as priest to God Most High, where Abraham raised the knife above Isaac, where King David danced before the Lord and returned the ark. It is the hill where Solomon built the temple. And in about three decades, forces will gather on this hill and execute this boy. The words I just read, some of you may know them. I doubt it. Come from the book, What If It's True? I want you to see it behind me. You can write it down by Charles Martin. He usually writes Christian fiction. Uh, This is not Christian fiction. It is phenomenal. I highly, highly recommend it. Well, three decades have come and gone, and the boy is on the hill. Last week, Kevin taught us that on Friday, things could not have been any worse. Jesus Christ, who had been preaching and healing for three years, has been completely abandoned by even his closest friends. One of the 12 people closest to him betrayed him. One of his three closest friends, his inner circle, has cursed him. I don't know him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. No, no, I don't even know him. I deny I don't know him. Not even his family believed. The story was over last week. Kevin, if you haven't heard his talk, I highly recommend it. Go to our webpage. But he left us with Jesus hanging on a cross. The little boy had grown up to be executed, but before he he was, he suffered horrendous verbal, emotional, spiritual, and physical torture. Now we're left with Jesus as just one of countless messiahs who came, built up a following, and then just flamed out. The Gospel of Mark ended at chapter 15, then Jesus would have been nothing more than a footnote in history. Nothing more than, well, I don't know, maybe a few, a few lines jotted in an ancient text. So we went, Jesus, who? But, and isn't this just like God? Just when things are at their worst. Everything changes. In just eight verses, Mark shows us that everything has changed. In these eight verses, we're going to see that the resurrection of Jesus was a surprise to just about everybody. We're going to see that Jesus' resurrection includes everybody, and I mean everybody is invited to the party. And then lastly, Jesus' resurrection story continues today but he uses people like you and me to complete the story. Do me a favor, if you haven't 
done so already, turn with me in your Bibles, Bible devices to Mark chapter 16. Are you ready for this? As we finish our series in the Gospel of Mark, we've been at it since January before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, January 2020, we're now about 14 months in. Mark chapter 16, let's enjoy this together. Verse one, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, another woman, bought spices so they they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way um, to the tomb and they asked each other, they weren't really thinking about this. They didn't, they didn't have a good plan, right? Oh, wait a second, who's gonna roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? It's like really, really large. We need some, we need some manpower. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And this is what angels usually say to us mere mortals. Don't be alarmed. We see that often in the scriptures. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? There's nothing there, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Verse eight, trembling and bewildered, the the women went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. First off this morning, I want us to see that the resurrection of Jesus was a surprise to just about everybody. If we had lived at the time of Jesus, we would have understood that Jesus was one of many messianic figures that, that kind of cropped up, that came, they ended up dying, disappointing deaths, they came, they went, they were gone. For instance, um, Simon Bar Kokhba led a revolt against the Roman Empire in, in 132 AD. He set up an independent Jewish state. It, it lasted for three years But his revolt was eventually crushed, and today his name is hardly known. Any Kokba followers in the house? I I didn't think so. After the failure of the revolt, rabbinical writers, I love this, this is so Jewish, began referring to him by a new name. Instead of calling him um, Bar Kokba, which means son of a star, you're like, yeah, that's a good name. They changed his name to, in history, he's dead, to Bar Kozba, which means he's a son of disappointment. So Jewish. I can hear my bubby right now. Such a disappointment. If the story of Jesus ended in Mark 15, this would have been the story of Jesus as well. Son of God, please. Please. He's such a disappointment. Failure. End of story. Now, remember what Jesus had told his disciples over and over and over again. Mark chapter 10 and verse 33. We're going up to Jerusalem. He said, and the son of man, him, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And then what? Guys, guys, three days later, I'm going to rise. Here it is, the third day, and absolutely nobody is 
even consider the possibility of what Jesus said could come true. His, where are his disciples? They're scattered. You think, I don't know, one or two of them may have like hid somewhere close to the tomb just in case it was true. Maybe a couple would trail the women down the path and just in case. In verse one of our passage, three women come as soon as they can early in the morning with spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, you need to know this. These spices are very costly. And they were designed to help deal with uh, the stench of that decaying body that, it w- it, that that stench would create. And nobody is expecting a resurrection. They expect to find um, a bloodied and decaying body. I, I mean, I appreciate their compassion, but they didn't believe he was going to resurrect. Not a single person expected anything other than a dead body. As far as they were concerned, the story was over. And this is really important for you to hear this. Theologically, they didn't even believe in the, re- the resurrection would take place in this age. Every good Jew would tell you there's no such thing as a resurrection until the very end of the age, until the end of the world. Sometimes we make the mistake of reading the Bible and we think that, you know, um, of course, ancient people would accept the story of someone rising from the dead. They're, you know, they're, they're not very sophisticated. They're, they're superstitious. Everyone thought about that. Nobody thought about that. Nobody. What you need to understand is that nobody back then expected a resurrection of Jesus. They didn't even have a category for it. When other leaders were killed, and there were many, nobody ever thought to make up a resurrection story. Kokpah's going to resurrect. Kokpah's coming back. No one thought that. Ever. The people of Mark didn't get it either, and yet something happened to transform them completely. I want us to wrap our minds around this. A group of first century Jews who were scattered and defeated and had no category for the resurrection were suddenly changed to emboldened witnesses who were prepared to give up their lives speaking about what they've seen. Virtually all of the disciples and early Christian leaders gave up their lives testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. What the? Something happened on that morning that nobody had expected, and that changed everything. If you're here this morning and you have a hard time believing in the resurrection, join the club. There's not a person in the Gospel of Mark who expected it to happen, but something happened that changed everything and and is still changing everything today. First off, the resurrection of Jesus was a surprise. Secondly, we see from our text that Jesus's resurrection, hallelujah, includes everybody. And I mean, everybody gets invited to the party. Verse one, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's Body. Now, these three women are about to become the first witnesses to the empty tomb in the message of the gospel. And you say, so what? What's the big deal? Um, in our world, and I'm grateful for this, um, we don't understand what's going on. In their world, women weren't allowed to testify. They weren't allowed to bear witness. They weren't, they're, in court, 
They couldn't go to court because their testimony wasn't admissible. This doesn't, doesn't make sense, right? The British theologian N.T. Wright makes the point that if you were inventing the story of the resurrection, you never would have made the first and best witnesses to be female. It would have been too inconvenient. The only reason you would say that women were the first and best witnesses is because that's what actually happened. Because that's, that, that's what was actually true. But it's, it's surprising for a, another reason. The readers of Mark's gospel would have understood that one of these three women at least was a woman with a past. Mary Magdalene was somebody who had previously been demon-possessed. Luke chapter 8 and verse 2 calls her Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Strike one, women. Strike two, a demon woman. Right? At least one of these three women has a significant history. What does this tell us? Mark is showing us that the gospel of Jesus Christ turns everything upside down. People who are excluded, who are pushed to the side, who are marginalized, are the first and best witnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The least likely people become part of the resurrection story. You may be here this morning and think, I'm the least likely person. Lee, if you know... If you knew what I did on the way to church, if you knew what I did last night, if you knew what I said to my wife or my husband, if you knew what I looked at, what I thought, if you knew some of my actions. Please write this down and I want you to see it. The first to be discounted in the kingdom of man or the first to be included in the kingdom of God. When we embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord, the fools become wise, the weak become strong. And just in case we get ahead of ourselves, Mark still points out that, the, they, that we won't get it right away. These women go to the tomb. They enter into a small chamber. In the tomb, they see a young man sitting there. The young man, an angel, announces the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're told, this is so fascinating to me, they're told to go tell the disciples. What does Jesus do all throughout the Gospels after a miracle? What does he say? Don't say anything. Don't, don't tell anybody. Now he's like, go and tell them. And what do they do? Verse eight, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The resurrection of Jesus is for the least likely people, but even the best of us blow up. The resurrection changes us. The gospel transforms us. But please hear this. It's a process. Jesus' resurrection includes people like us, people who are the least likely to be included, people who still mess up in our responses to God and who don't get it right away. What about the disciples? The angel told the women in verse 7, but... Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Before Jesus was betrayed, do you remember what he told his disciples? Let me refresh our memories. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, 
I will go ahead of you into Galilee. The disciples had completely blown it. Jesus had told them over and over and over again what was going to happen, and they just couldn't get it. When put to the test, they immediately caved and they fled. And out of all the disciples, no failure was more dramatic than Peter's. Peter had sworn emphatically, Mark chapter 14 and verse 31, you know, we all have this friend, right? Dude, I'll die with you. We're blood brothers. Maybe you don't. I had guys like that. I'll never leave you, man. A week later, they're gone. Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will never. It's interesting. I'll never disown you. What does he do? Hours later, I don't even know Jesus. Jesus who? How gracious is God to single out Peter by name? And he does that to us. He does that to us. No disciple had failed Jesus as much as Peter besides Judas. No one had fallen as short as Peter had. Nobody felt as bad as he did. And yet, Peter is singled out. Go and tell the disciples. And oh, by the way, tell Peter too. This is a clear sign that even Peter was forgiven by God. He had been singled out for God's grace, and the message is clear, and I want you to see this behind me. If even Peter can be forgiven, then there's no sin too big for God to deal with. There's nothing that you and I have ever done in the past that God cannot forgive. There's no shameful secret that cannot be brought before God that needs to remain hidden from his grace-filled, merciful light Whatever your past, whatever your present situation, God can forgive anything, absolutely anything. But the liar, this world around us, especially the cancel culture that we live in, and your own flesh screams at you, you can't be forgiven? That's always the enemy. That's always demonic. Always. We often hear language like this. Oh man, they blew it. They're done. Is that the gospel? Is that the gospel? He can forgive Peter, he can forgive even you, and he can forgive even me. The resurrection of Jesus was a surprise to just about everybody. The resurrection of Jesus includes everybody, and I mean everybody, is invited to the party. Lastly, this morning, Jesus' resurrection story continues today through you and me. I'm sure some of you have noticed this morning, please don't speak out, that we've only looked at verses one through eight. And you're like, well, Lee, you said we're finishing the book of Mark today. You didn't read verses nine through 20. You didn't finish the chapter. Heretic! I knew there was something wrong with, with this guy. There's a reason the oldest and most reliable manuscripts end at verse eight. If you were to look at the church fathers, the early church fathers, they never talk about anything in Mark's gospel past verse eight. There is no past verse eight for the early church fathers. It seems like the last verse we have that authentically and originally comes from the pen of Mark is verse eight. Verses nine through 20 seem to have been added later. You say, why? 
Because as you look at the gospel of Mark and you come to you come to chapter 16, it feels like it ends too soon. And so hundreds of years later, scribes went, oh, this ended too soon. I probably need to fill in some stuff. But still, I agree. It's a strange way to end the book. Women come to the tomb. They find the stone rolled away. They meet an angelic messenger who tells them that Jesus is risen. He gives them a message to pass on to the disciple. Jesus is alive and he's going to reconvene his community. The story continues. And then trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anybody because they were afraid. The end. Amen. Let's pray. And you're like, but, huh? Right? What a strange way to end the book. You, you can see why they would try to neaten and smooth out the ending. So that begs the question, Lee, why does Mark end his gospel like this? Why does Mark end the gospel so, his gospel so mysteriously with the women running away, afraid to tell uh, anyone about what has happened? And actually, I think the answer is rather simple for me. I think Mark wants us to feel the tension, the pressure that his gospel isn't finished. The good news of, of Jesus Christ can't end in silence. That is, Mark is waiting for you and me to finish the story. He is waiting for you and me to go out and tell people the good news. Did you notice that as we read the resurrection story, we see dynamic movement? The stone is moved out of the way, right? The women are moving. Jesus is moving. Now the question is this. How are we moving in this story? Are we going to run away and hide in silence knowing that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but we're too, too afraid to tell anyone about Jesus? Or are we going to complete the story and go out and pro proclaim the good news of the resurrected Christ to the people of, of Fayetteville and Northwest Arkansas and, and the world at large? If we won't, Mark says, who will? Who will? Elias Chasur is the retired archbishop of Eko, Haifa, Nazareth, and all Galilee of the Melakite Greek church. Say that fast three times. He looks like an archbishop, doesn't he? He describes himself as, and I quote, a Palestinian Arab Christian Israeli. And even though he's retired, he often speaks to Holy Land visitors. And every time that he speaks to them, he starts with a series of questions. Here they are. Why have you come to the Holy Land? Why are you here? Did you come looking for Jesus? And they all nod, yes, yes. He's gone. Didn't you get the memo? He isn't here. He has risen. He has sent you out to spread the good news into all the world. Go do it. The young man, the angel in the story presents each one of us with an incredible challenge as we sit here this morning. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. Beloved, he has risen. He's not here. This is the truth of the resurrection. The truth is that Jesus has moved on. He's gone ahead of us. Our task is to play catch up 
to chase after him. He's going back to Galilee and we need to follow him there. You say, Lee, what does this look like practically? I wrote this down, I want you to see it. We need to go back to the beginning. You say, how? We need to daily soak ourselves in the scriptures. We need to daily soak ourselves again and again in the profound personal experience of Jesus, the wonder of his resurrection, his healing for us, his miracles for us, his life-changing teaching for us, and then we need to proclaim our experience to a broken world. The resurrection is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. And we need to finish it until one day he returns. In the Celtic Christian tradition, I didn't know this. I feel like everyone knew it but me. The symbol for the Holy Spirit is, is what? Do you know? Anyone know? Shout it out. Not a dub. Close. Yeah, it's a wild goose. Here it is. I know it's a little blurry, but that's the Celtic rendering of the Holy Spirit, and it's a wild goose. And you say, wait a second, Um, hold on, why? Here's their beliefs, that no matter how carefully you try and sneak up on a wild goose, you can't catch him. I wouldn't try it, by the way. (laughs) You You can't catch him. And I I read this from one of the Celtic fathers. They said this, the wild goose tends to disrupt and surprise. Isn't that good? And Jesus is like that too. We cannot tame Jesus and turn him into a, a happy ever after story. We must spend each of our lives, our single solitary lives, chasing him and following where he may lead. Now, let me remind us, this is really important. We're not on a wild goose chase. We're chasing the wild goose. You say, wait, wait, what? We're not on a wild goose chase. We're chasing the wild goose. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. As we chase Jesus, he will take us on the adventure of a lifetime. So, now get this, if we spend the better part of who we are Chasing Jesus, he'll not only give our thirsty souls water to drink, but he'll give us the abundant life that he promised. A life that is at times a little out of control, a little risky, a little, a, 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 a little unpredictable, but abundant. But sadly, And I want you to hear this. For those of you in this room and for those of you watching online, I want you to hear this. There are so many believers that are on a wild goose chase. I don't even know what I'm running after. I'm just running. They're running after things that don't ultimately satisfy. So here's what they do. They spend the best part of their one single solitary life, the best part of who they are, running after the wind, running after accolades, resume building, stuff, houses, cars. I'll sprinkle a little Jesus in, but really I'm running after what every other person runs after. 
God forbid. Please, I beg you, I beg you, don't be that person. You'll regret it. You will not get to the end of your life and stand before King Jesus and go, yeah, I chased after the wind like Solomon did, like the culture did. I did, like all my Instagram followers did. I did, I chased after the wind, not the wild goose. Not you, Jesus, but the wind. And you know, I'm kind of glad. No, you'll go, oh, oh, no, no. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? You say, Lee, you're, you're preaching hard. I am. I'm preaching to me. Our strong temptation is to be passive and just go with the flow of culture. But as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, we resist that. And we chase after untamable, unpredictable, unpredictable, wild Jesus. I'm going to encourage you right now, here in the next few minutes, believers in Jesus, to repent of chasing after false gods. And run after Jesus. You won't regret it. If you're on the prayer team, I'd like you to come up right now. Before I pray, let me encourage every follower of Jesus in this room and online to do what the Bible, what the Bible calls um, a beautiful thing. And that's to repent. If for some reason you're chasing the wind, you're running after things that don't satisfy, that don't pass the eternity litmus test, Jesus isn't doing this. He's doing this. Come on. Come on. I love you. Peter, I love you. Prodigal, I love you. Religious person, I love you. Come. Come to the table come right now so during our time of prayer time of worship or time of communion Trey Robbins is going to come in just a minute one of our elders and walk us through communion walk us through prayer it's a time to run back to Jesus for others in this room you're like I don't know Jesus chasing the wild goose what I don't know but for some reason my heart my heart is busting right now. My mind is just racing. I want to know what it looks like to follow this Jesus. I would encourage you right now, right now, to run to him. I don't want you to run to politics. I don't want you to run to a church building. I don't want you to run to, good grief, some Christian radio or Christian TV show that you go, that's really weird and funky. I don't know if it's right. Run to Jesus. Jesus says, if any man, if any woman, if any child comes, I will receive them. I will receive them as a child. You say, what do I have to do? Again, repent. Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. And you alone as Savior, as Lord. And the Bible says, in no way will he cast you aside, but he'll receive you. You say, I, 
I want to walk through that with somebody. There's people up here to my right and to my left. Of course, you can come talk to me. Say, what does it look like to really know Jesus? Not cultural Jesus, not political Jesus. Jesus, biblical Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. I just thank you for an opportunity to preach and teach the Bible, the Word of God. I'm so blessed to get to do this. I thank you that I don't have to get up and talk about things that don't matter. But I get to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, God with us. And Father, this means the world to me. Lord Jesus, may our lives reflect your death, your burial, your resurrection. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us as you did the first followers of Jesus. Help us to chase after the wild goose. Holy Spirit, please give us that courage, that passion, that compassion, and that boldness to chase after Jesus. Forgive us for chasing after the wind, for chasing after the idols of this world. We know that our story isn't finished until you call us home. May we live in the light of the day of resurrection for Jesus' name, for Jesus' fame. Amen.